Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. I'm Ashley, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey, guys. Hey, so we finally moved into our new house. We have a lake in our backyard. A full lake. And Ricky, how many fish have you caught since we moved in? Well, the first day was like 10. Crazy. And I've been fishing on lunch breaks too and like catching like five in an hour. And I can't even get them away from it. I have to like throw them a sandwich and you I won't. can catch my own food. <laughs> um, fish filet. But like, I guess like the lake, I don't know if any of you guys uh, fish, but. Probably not. No, I don't really either. Ricky makes fun of me because I fish with chicken nuggets sometimes. I mean, I guess. But hey, you yeah. never know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're really liking our place so far. It needs some work, but it's fun to kind of like work on these projects over time. So I think we'll make it how we would like. And, um, things are starting to come along. We do have two patrons to shout out. We have destiny and Lisa. Thank you guys so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys. And also we've gotten like a ton of reviews. I made a post on Instagram talking about this, but Something like 40 plus reviews. It's amazing. Almost all of them were like five stars. So wow. That's crazy. Thank you guys. It really helps us out and we really, really, really appreciate it. Well, let's jump into this week's episode. Everyone has a crazy party story, but I bet that anyone who attended Tyler Hadley's house party in Port St. Lucie, Florida on the night of July 16th, 2011 can give you a run for your money. When Tyler posted on Facebook that he was having a party, over 100 people came to his parents' house to drink, do drugs, and party. What they didn't know was that only hours before, Tyler had brutally murdered his parents. With their bodies hidden in the master bedroom, kids unknowingly partied in the bloody crime scene. Born December 12, 1993, Tyler Hadley had spent his whole life in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Port St. Lucie, Florida is located in southern Florida near the Atlantic Ocean, a bit over 100 miles directly north of Miami. The town was originally built and marketed as a luxurious place for people to come and retire. But half built on a swampland, some areas remained overgrown and wild, never becoming fully residential or developed. In 2006, Port St. Lucie was the fastest growing city in America, with a population approaching a quarter million. It was where the Mets would spend their spring training and had a reputation for being a hub for marijuana dealers. Tyler was the youngest son of Mary Jo and Blake Hadley. Mary Jo and Blake had spent many years living in Fort Lauderdale, but had decided to raise their family in St. Lucie due to its proximity to Blake's parents who lived in Stewart, a neighboring town. Blake Hadley worked for 30 years at the St. Lucie Nuclear Power Plant as a water engineer, while Mary Jo was an elementary school teacher. She had worked for 24 years at St. Lucie County Elementary, teaching many of her son's peers before transferring to Village Green Environmental Studies School. Tyler had one older brother, Ryan. The Hadleys lived on Granger Street, which, like many streets in Port St. Lucie, was spelled wrong. Outside of swimming in the pool or playing basketball in the front yard, Tyler, like most kids in Port St. Lucie, complained that there was nothing to do and nowhere to go. Kids often caused trouble. They broke into seemingly abandoned houses, stole, and more than once. Kids rode their skateboards through stores, knocking things off shelves. 
Tyler's family knew him as a loving but withdrawn boy. He kept quietly to himself, silently suffering from anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, and bulimia. Tyler tried to find different hobbies and activities to keep him busy, like learning to play the drums or participating on various sports teams. But he always quit after a short time, saying that he just wasn't good enough to keep up with his peers. Concerned for her son's health and well-being, Mary Jo, who suffered from depression herself, started working with various doctors to help find a medication that could work for Tyler. But nothing seemed to stick and Tyler's behavior grew more out of control. By the time he was a teenager, he was vandalizing public bathrooms, started small fires, and breaking things in people's yards. Tyler turned to self-medicating to deal with his anxiety, depression, and mental health. He started drinking when he was 12 and smoking pot by 15. And by the time he was in high school, he would frequently take ecstasy and hallucinogens. And though he was still a quiet kid, he became a bit more erratic around his peers, laughing suddenly or becoming angry. Like many parents, Blake and Mary Jo Hadley tried their best to help Tyler, but only knew a bit about his changing behavior and substance abuse. Growing up, Tyler had become close with his parents. He would stay up late, waiting for his dad to get home from work so that they could play basketball in the driveway for hours. He would swim and laugh in the pool with his older brother and mom during the summers. From the outside, the Hadleys seemed like a happy family. Tyler didn't agree. From a young age, he found himself fighting with his parents, particularly his mom. After one particularly bad fight, 10-year-old Tyler ran down the street to his friend Mark's house. Angrily, he told Mark that he was going to kill his parents. Mark calmed Tyler down, saying that all parents upset their kids, and the fight blew over. When Tyler began attending Port St. Lucie High School, Tyler's behavior worsened. His group of friends were known as the quote-unquote bad kids of the school. In the spring of 2011, they covered a couch in gasoline and lit it on fire in the River Park Wildlife Preserve. Luckily, the fire was able to be put out before it caused too much damage, and Tyler and his friends were lit off without a warning. Around the same time, Tyler was arrested for aggravated battery after he started a violent fight at his friend's house. He was given a week of jail time and two weeks of house arrest. Tyler shared with a friend that he felt bad about this incident because his mom was disappointed in him, crying over what happened. Mary Jo and Blake cared deeply for their son, but struggled to find a way to best help him. In June of 2011, when Tyler was 17, he got drunk at a party and urinated on a friend's bed. When he came home so intoxicated that night, his mother didn't know what else to do. She had him check into the New Horizons, a mental health clinic, hoping that the required counseling would help Tyler return to the happy, drug-free boy she knew. Mary Jo was able to check Tyler into the clinic under the Baker Act, a Florida law that allows a parent or a loved one to provide emergency mental health services and temporary detention to people who are unable to consent during their mental illness. Mary Jo wasn't worried that Tyler wouldn't hurt her, only that he might hurt himself. Tyler had previously had counseling for his depression and an eating disorder. By the time that his emergency hold in the clinic was lifted, Mary Jo was hopeful that her son was back to his old self. She shared with her close friends that she believed he was over the hurdle, 
Mary Jo Hadley had no idea what her youngest son was telling his friends only weeks later. By 11 p.m., Tyler's party was finally starting to get underway. When he answered the door for the first guest, he was wearing a long black shirt, Dickies, and black Nike Air Force high-top sneakers, and it was immediately evident that he was high on ecstasy. Tyler's only condition for his guest was that he didn't want anyone smoking inside. But after upwards of 60 kids started showing up, he stopped caring about that too. As more and more young people showed up at Tyler's party, things grew rowdier and rowdier. Teens were playing beer pong in the dining room, drinking in the living room, digging through the kitchen cabinets, bottles were being thrown, cigarettes were being put out on the walls, rugs, or whatever surface was nearby. The Hadley's home was getting destroyed, but on all accounts, Tyler didn't care. His only concern was the noise. If it got too loud, the neighbors might call the cops, which Tyler made it clear that this was the last thing he wanted. Though many people at the party had never met Tyler, those who knew him wanted to know where his parents were. Tyler had a different answer for everyone. By midnight, the party was growing even more out of hand, with over 100 people crammed into the small house on Granger. With so many people, they had run out of beer, so Tyler enlisted the help of his good friend Mark Andrews and Mark's girlfriend to drive him to pick up more beer. Mark was 21 and had known Tyler and the Hadleys for over 10 years. When they get to the store, Tyler handed Mark a large stack of $20 bills to go in and buy the alcohol. While Mark was in the store, Tyler made small talk with Mark's girlfriend, Ashley. During their conversation, Tyler offhandedly mentioned that his father had died. Not knowing Tyler very well, Ashley assumed that his father had passed away a long time ago. She had no idea what Tyler really meant. By the time they had arrived back at the party, the house was even more chaotic than before. People were selling drugs, smoking like crazy, and someone ran into the house with a stolen mailbox. For most of the night, Tyler had been surprisingly calm, not showing emotion in any direction, happy or sad, until he saw the boy with the mailbox. He yelled for the boy to put it back, claiming that stealing is a felony. Tyler was worried that the missing mailbox would lead the police back to his house. Once the mailbox was returned, Tyler went back to being eerily calm despite his parents' home quickly becoming a complete disaster. Pictures had come down, dirty plates filled the sink, the whole place smelled nastier and nastier. Once it was well past midnight, Mark Andrews decided it was time for him to head out. Noticing his longtime friend leaving, Tyler pulled Mark aside, wanted to talk privately. Once alone outside, Tyler told Mark that he was worried he might go to prison because he killed someone. Knowing that Tyler had joked about this many times, Mark didn't believe his friend. Mark brushed Tyler's comments aside, saying that if Tyler did kill someone, that he didn't want to know. With Mark not believing him, Tyler headed back into the party and ran into a freshman named Ricardo. Ricardo thanked Tyler for the beer and throwing the party. Tyler replied that he just wanted to do something fun before he left. When Ricardo asked where he was going, Tyler replied that he was going to kill himself because he did something bad. Continuing down the hall, Tyler ran into a friend who went by the name Kay Nasty. He told her that he was going away for 60 years. But why? She'd find out tomorrow. Around 1 in the morning, Tyler ran into Michael Mandel, one of his best friends since childhood. The boys had known each other since they were 8 and spent much of their time together. 
Tyler and Michael headed out of the party and down the street to talk at Tyler's request. At the end of the block, Tyler turned to Michael and said, I killed my parents. Knowing that Tyler had talked about killing his parents before, but never seriously, Michael brushed him off. But Tyler was adamant and told him to look for signs. His parents' cars were still in the driveway. When they walked back to the house, Tyler showed Michael the garage, pointing to a bloody footprint on the floor. Tyler took his friend back upstairs to his parents' bedroom, which had been locked throughout the party. Unlocking the door, Michael saw a mess, with furniture thrown into the pile in the room, towels covered in blood, and legs of a motionless body on the floor. Tyler told Michael what happened. Around 5 p.m. that same night, Tyler Hadley hid his parents' cell phone from them and took three pills of ecstasy. With what he was about to do, Tyler didn't believe he could do it sober. He went out to the garage and found a hammer. Bringing it back inside and upstairs, he stood behind his mother quietly as she worked on the computer. He raised the hammer up and brought it down violently, slamming it into his mother's head. Mary Jo Hadley cried out why as she bled to death. Blake Hadley, hearing his wife's final cries, ran into the room. Blake, horrified and afraid, asked the same question, why? But his son's only reply as he struck his father with the hammer again and again was, why the fuck not? After he was sure that they were dead, with their heads and bodies mangled from the hammer, he tried his best to clean up the bloody mess. He wrapped their heads in towels and dragged his parents' lifeless bodies into the master bedroom. He cleaned as much as he could off of himself and threw everything that could be evidence into the room, right on top of Mary Jo and Blake's bodies, including a coffee table, chairs, mops, and broken dishes. When he was done, he locked the door to the bedroom, took a shower, and posted on Facebook that the party was on. Surprisingly, after he learned that Tyler had killed his parents and saw the bodies himself, Michael stayed at the party for almost an hour. He even took a selfie with Tyler, saying that he knew this would be the last time that he would see his best friend. Around 2 a.m., someone announced that there was another party starting down the street, causing many of the kids to hop in their cars and loudly head out. This noise was a final straw for Tyler's neighbor, Rayanne Wallace. She called the police to file a noise complaint. When two police officers arrived at the Hadley's house, there were less than 20 kids still there. Tyler, calm and composed despite having two dead bodies upstairs, talked to the cops, assuring them that the party was over and that the noise would stop. Believing him and with no reason to suspect what he had done hours earlier, the cops left. Only a half an hour later though, the party was starting to pick back up again, when those who left realized that there wasn't another party happening. But Tyler was beginning to act more and more strange and nervous. He was checking the windows, closing the blinds, pacing, and turned off the lights to avoid attracting any attention from cars driving by outside. Just before 5 a.m., Tyler posted on Facebook one last time. Party at my house again, hit me up. But police had already been dispatched to Tyler's house. 
Michael Mandel, Tyler's best friend, had called in and shared everything that Tyler had told him and what he had seen. When officers arrived, they looked through the windows to see Tyler pacing erratically, looking very disturbed. When they finally rang the doorbell, it took a minute for Tyler to answer. When he did, he held one hand behind his back, causing officers to draw their weapons, believing that he could be armed. They ordered him to the ground and handcuffed him. As they led him out to the cars, Tyler said that he knew he was going to jail. When they began to go inside the house, Tyler became more agitated, yelling at them not to go inside, but they did anyway. Finding the dead bodies of Mary Jo and Blake Hadley lying on the floor in the master bedroom. Tyler was taken to the St. Lucie County Jail to face trial. With so much evidence connecting Tyler to the murder, including his own confession, police had no doubt about who killed Mary Jo and Blake Hadley. Their only question was why? In Port St. Lucie, many have speculated about what could have caused Tyler to beat his parents to death with a hammer. Some students speculated that the Hadleys had it coming because they wouldn't let Tyler be himself. They were seen as too tough on him, putting too much pressure on him. Others thought that it was years of substance abuse that led Tyler to snap. In a letter to his grandparents that he sent from prison, Tyler shared that he thinks some of his violent behavior stemmed from the meds he was taking. What does seem clear is that Tyler's actions that night did not stem from some sort of psychotic break or fit of rage. It seems evident that his actions were premeditated. Killing his parents and throwing a party was something he had been casually mentioning for weeks. Tyler had told Michael that he purposely waited for his older brother Ryan to leave for school in North Carolina before following through with his plan. He told a fellow inmate that he had concocted a plan at least three weeks before he followed through on it. Tyler was charged with two counts of first-degree murder. His court-appointed public defender had him submit a plea of not guilty, citing that Tyler had a long documented history of mental illness. From 2011 to 2014, while awaiting his trial, Tyler remained at the St. Lucie County Prison. In February of 2014, he changed his plea from not guilty by reason of insanity to no contest, finally taking responsibility for his actions. Because he was only 17 at the time of the crime, Tyler wasn't tried as an adult. After he changed his appeal, his case was sent to a juvenile mitigation hearing where he was sentenced by a judge. As a minor, he wasn't able to be given the death sentence, but the judge gave Tyler Hadley two life sentences without the possibility of parole, one for each of his parents that he killed. But in April of 2016, his sentencing was overturned by an appeal judge who said that the original judge did not consider the correct alternative to a life sentence, given that the case involved a minor. Finally, in December of 2018, with Tyler now in his mid-20s, a judge reheard Tyler's case, this time giving him a life sentence with the possibility of parole. During the sentencing, the judge showed little sympathy for Tyler, saying, The defendant displayed perverse premeditation, heartless cruelty and savagery, extreme violence, a willingness to mutilate and absolute depravity, the judge declared. Considering the victims were blood relatives and were killed up close and personally with a handheld tool, it's obvious the defendant was fueled by a long, simmering, passionate hatred towards those who loved him the most. 
For the Hadley family, outside of Tyler, Mary Jo and Blake's siblings and Ryan, their eldest child, the reoccurring trials only reopened an unimaginable wound. Having to attend so many hearings and trials left them feeling like they were attending a funeral again and again. Now with the new sentencing in place, it seems as if they will finally see some closure. In the years since Tyler threw his now infamous party, the house has been reclaimed by the bank and demolished. Many of those who came to his house that night to the party, unaware of what had happened only hours earlier, surprisingly weren't disgusted or shaken by it. For many, they felt like it gained them a sort of celebrity status, feeling like they were at the party of a lifetime. Tyler Hadley remains in the Okeechobee Correctional Facility in Florida. Though he has written letters to family that claims his regrets and actions and has been trying to atone for what he did, we aren't so sure. In prison, he wears his crime like a badge of honor, going by the nickname Hammer Time or other puns of the violent way he killed his parents. Regardless, it seems unlikely that Tyler Hadley will ever be a free man again. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you again next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.